Let us pray. Holy God, we want to see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. Use this time, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. There is an exercise that's become popular in recent years called the Privilege Walk. And in this exercise, a team or a group will stand shoulder to shoulder to one another as they wait for the uh, facilitator's questions. And the facilitator will ask questions such as, did your parents have a college education? Take a step forward. Were your parents raised outside of the US? Take a step back. Do you own a car? That's a step forward. And on it goes through 20 or so questions until the facilitator is concluded that. And at the end of the exercise, this team who once was standing shoulder to shoulder are now at significant distances from one another. And oftentimes, it's a little surprising. The exercise is used to raise awareness about social location. So for instance, for myself, if we said, if I were asked, have you always had food and shelter security? Yes, I have. How about education, high school, undergraduate, graduate education? Yep, check. How about a life-threatening illness? Yep, one of those, a step back. But wait a minute, I had access to surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, multiple wonderful physicians, and sufficient health care to cover the costs. So that's a step back, but I'll also count it as a step or two forward. By the way, that was 18 years ago, 18 years and counting of borrowed time. Isn't it all borrowed time, lent to us by God? So let's try what happens for Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, economically secure? Mm, he's a beggar on the side of the road, so that doesn't work for him. Well, uh, a network of family support to support him in time of need. No evidence of that. And life-threatening, life-hindering condition. Well, let's see, blindness in first century Palestine with no social safety net, uh, no seeing eye dog, no audio books, definitely not so good. And how about social support? Well, just the opposite. The crowd around him tells him to hush. They don't want to hear from him. So here's Bartimaeus on the side of the road in every way that we can imagine. He is sidelined, literally. And as he's sitting on the side, one day Jesus is, comes by and there's a commotion. And so Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's when the crowd gets ornery and they tell him to hush. And he cries out louder. And amazingly enough, Jesus hears and responds. And he invites Bartimaeus to come over. He tells his followers to call him and have him come over. 
And as he does, he asks, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see again. And so, even as he asks this, he, throw, he has thrown off his cloak and comes over to Jesus. And as he does so, he is healed. He sees again. So now, he is no longer sidelined, but he is here, pulled away, centered. And at this point, we want to say, or I want to say anyway, that this is, it is a wonderful, miraculous story. And so I want to continue it and say, well then, Bartimaeus must have had a wonderful life, right? He's now healed and he can find a job and he can get work and he can restore relationships with his community. All of those good things and hopefully he will die in peace as in at old age. But we don't know if that happened to Bartimaeus or not. What we do know is that he's healed and Jesus has said, your faith has made you well. I wonder about that statement, your faith has made you well, and I wonder how someone who is, who uses a wheelchair for mobility would hear this passage. And how would someone with macular degeneration whose world continues to get dimmer and dimmer, how would they hear this passage? A colleague was recently sharing some ideas about how the scripture has been abused. And if we took this passage and said, well, it's because your faith is not strong enough that your prayer has not been answered the way that Bartimaeus' prayer was answered, that would be so wrong and hurtful. I'm not today going to try to work out the, the intricacies of theodicy, that thorny problem of evil. But I wonder if some context around this passage may help. The problem, you know, with our pattern of reading only a paragraph of scripture at a time is that sometimes we miss out on the context. If we were to watch only 15 minutes of a movie or read page 137 of a 300-page novel, we would likely miss a lot. And so here in the Gospel of Mark, this is the only time we hear of Bartimaeus. And so we want to complete his story, as I did in my imagination, that he lives happily ever after. But let's back up for a moment. This story of Bartimaeus is the bookend of a section of scripture that started in chapter 8 of Mark. In chapter 8, Jesus heals another blind man while he was in Bethsaida. In that case, a man was brought to Jesus, and then Jesus put saliva on his eyes and touched him and laid his hands on him. And the result was that the man could see but not so well. The man said, I see people, but they're like trees walking. And so Jesus laid hands on him a second time, and the second time he was able to see clearly. So 
this first story that takes place in Bethsaida and the story of Bartimaeus, is it just an example of Jesus getting better at healing? Sort of practice makes purpose, perfect, perfect, perhaps? It reminds me of how much cataract surgery has changed over the years. When my grandfather had cataract surgery many, many years ago, it involved an overnight hospitalization and strict requirements to remain flat in bed. When my mother had cataract surgery many years ago, it was an outpatient surgery, but still an ordeal. And I took her to a, a, her appointment and in that particular office, they had a closed circuit TV, which allowed you to watch your loved one in their surgery, an opportunity of which I took advantage and was fascinated. I couldn't see much, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. And I particularly smiled to remember that when the surgery was nearly done or perhaps done, my mother sat right up on, bed, on the bed, ready to get going again, while firm hands laid her gently back down so they could finish drops or bandaging or whatever. And my brother, two years ago, had cataract surgery, and he re recalls that it was no time at all, it seemed to him, before he was home again. Cataract surgery has improved a lot, and the vast majority of patients see clearly again. So are these two stories of healing blind men just Jesus improving his technique? Let's keep looking at the context. Earlier, Jesus has been, had been teaching and preaching in Galilee, and his disciples were trying to follow, but sometimes they were confused. They don't have a clear picture of who Jesus is. Jesus speaks in parables, and the people did not always understand the point of his stories. Now Jesus is beginning to transition. He's beginning to move from Galilee to Jerusalem, from teaching to his passion. Moving forward from this first healing, Jesus tells the, his followers three times of his upcoming suffering, death, and resurrection. Now imagine if the disciples were confused by parables. Imagine how confused they would be by this prediction of suffering, death, and resurrection. It's not what they wanted to hear from their rabbi, let alone their Messiah. And so sometimes there were questions. Peter once even argued with Jesus about this uh, and saying this isn't going to happen. And you can imagine who won that argument. Another time, the disciples were very confused, but they were too scared to ask, for, ask questions for clarification. In the Gospel of Mark, this section between the two healing stories, and within these um, predictions of the coming suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus, there are also three very interesting requests. We've heard them in the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, Assistant Dean Puckett preached on the passage which is often referred to as the rich young ruler. It's called young because the Matthew Virgin mentions age. But in this passage, the rich man asks Jesus 
what, do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Last week, Dean Powery addressed the request of James and John, and these two disciples said to Jesus, grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in glory. It's not a bad thing to want eternal life or to be close to Jesus forever, yet Jesus does not grant either of these requests. Instead, to the rich man, Jesus says, give up everything, something that the seeker found impossible to do. And to James and John, Jesus said, do you really think that you can drink the cup that I am going to drink? They say that they are, and he says, it doesn't matter. It's not up to me to grant where you will sit. Now the third request comes from Bartimaeus. And what does he seek? Not the assurance of an eternal reward, not the, a position of honor in the heavenly realm. No, calling out from the sidelines, he simply begs, have mercy on me. This request, Jesus heeds. He stops in his tracks. He calls over the blind man and asks, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus asks to see again. And the text says, immediately he gained his sight and followed him on the way. He asks to see. Yet in many ways, Bartimaeus already sees better than the others. Even before his physical sight, he had spiritual insight that sur surpasses that of the disciples. He sees who Jesus is, the son of David, the one who can offer mer mercy. He sees the opportunity has been given when Jesus invites him to come. Unlike the rich man who cannot wean himself away from his possessions, Bartimaeus throws off his cloak perhaps his only garment, and willingly joins Jesus. Bartimaeus recognizes what he needs most, which is not eternal life or a position of honor, but mercy. First and foremost, he needs mercy. Upon receiving that mercy, he follows Jesus. What Bartimaeus does not know, but we as the readers of the gospel do know, is where Jesus is headed. Bartimaeus willingly follows Jesus, who is heading to Jerusalem, the cross and resurrection. Does Bartimaeus have a happily ever after life? We don't know. But we do know he is, be, he is going to follow the one who will pour out his love for all people. We also know that Bartimaeus is no longer on the sidelines. Jesus has mercifully called him into discipleship, and he follows. So together, they are headed towards a cross and an empty tomb. This all starts with the right request. Have mercy on me. This prayer has been central to Christians for centuries. Sometimes it's called the Jesus Prayer and phrased, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Sometimes it's simply stated, 
have mercy. Some believers choose to meditate on this, saying it to themselves over and over again. Saints and sinners through the ages keep returning to this prayer over and over again to seek grace in a time of need. It's also used to remind us of what is central and to clarify our vision of who Jesus is. This prayer also reminds us that we are always beginners in the spiritual life. The desert monks of the third century who devoted their lives to spiritual growth valued a beginner's heart in which they made a fresh start every day. The moment we think we are mature in the faith and have it all figured out, that's when we're furthest from the truth. For this reason, we need to come back time and time again to the beginning, our need for mercy. From this spot, we find humility before God and gratitude for all that God has done. So, where does this leave us in this passage? Well, for those of us who are in the middle of the semester and are wondering how far and how hard we have to push to get to that finish line, For those of us who are so, so weary of COVID, for those of us who are distracted by material abundance and privilege and ambition, perhaps we need to turn to this prayer, this prayer that begs Jesus for mercy. And we know that this prayer for mercy is, includes the prayer of confession that we did this morning, but it's also much broader. For when we are weighted down, we seek mercy. The good news is that even as this prayer leaves our lips, Jesus has already answered it and draws us once again into a fold of mercy. And again, we find grace in the time of need. And here in this moment when we are seeking mercy, we are again humbled before God, who alone gives mercy, and filled with gratitude for the mercy that we receive. And here in this spot, we know that we are not straying from the love that we first had, but instead we are filled with the joy and peace of believing, and we are abounding with hope and strengthened by the Spirit. In that spot, in that moment, when we recognize our need for mercy and we receive it. There may not be a magical happily ever after after this moment, for we go to follow Jesus wherever that may be. But once we have touched this spot again, this spot of mercy, of humility and gratitude, then once 
again, we are ready to follow Jesus. Bartimaeus was able to see clearly again. And so are we. Thanks be to God. Amen.